Welcome back to the TLC podcast with me, Venus Libido. And me, Natalie Byrne. Today on the podcast, we have Lucy Ann Holmes, who is a British author, actor, and campaigner. She has written many books, including Don't Hold My Head Down, How to Start a Revolution, and most recently, Women on Top of the World, which is coming out in February of this year. Women on Top of the World is a collection of 50 true disclosures by 50 women from around the world, from all ages and all walks of life revealing their innermost thoughts and feelings during sex, all accompanied by full-colour, interpretive illustrations by a range of cutting-edge artists. Some of the artists included are some of our favourites, like Frances Cannon, Alice Skinner and Sophie Birkin. So welcome Lucy and thank you for joining us today on the podcast. We're really excited to have you on. Really excited to be here, thank you for inviting me. So I got sent a copy of your book a couple of weeks ago now, um, and it's called Women on Top of the World. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the book? Yeah, so it's, um, it's well, I, I'm, I'm now sort of um, a bit in love with this book, but basically um, it's interviews um, with 51 women from all around the world of all different ages. And so, yes, yeah, so I interviewed 51 women all around the world, different ages, and I basically asked them the question, what do you think about when you have sex? Um, and the interviews covered lots of different things. Um, so, you know, a lot about, you know, what, what we learned about sex growing up, any big key events that might have happened in our sexual journey. Um, and yeah, and the, the interviews were quite long, many of them. And then I just um, uh, made them into stories of about 750 words. And then what really beautifully happened is then the stories were sent to illustrators who responded to the stories with these original pieces of art. Um, yeah, and so the book is this lovely illustrated book which I think is um, quite beautiful and powerful and taboo breaking um, and at times heartbreaking, I would say, but also at times really inspiring. And the word I really feel about it is triumphant. Mm. Most of the women who, you know, I always started the interviews with the question, what made you want to talk to me today? And um, so many of the women said, you know, because I really think we should be having more open conversations about sex because I wish I'd, you know, heard about certain experiences, I wouldn't have felt so alone or ashamed about this aspect of my life. And I'm hoping that by sharing this story, this might help somebody or reach somebody. So there was this really amazing sense of sisterhood and of sharing stories for wisdom and for, for empowerment. So yeah, I, I, you know, I was very touched by it. And I hope other people feel, you know, as moved as I have been mm. from these women's stories. When you um, reached out to these, all these different women about asking them about their experience, was this done in person not in person but did you do this by actually physically talking to them or was this like a written thing and you read their um their accounts so how was this done so there's a bit of a mixture so I did a handful of them face to face if if it you know if it allowed just geographically um I did probably the majority over zoom a few over skype and some were done um written like you said um I spoke to a woman in Iran and she was like there's, it's so unstable here at the moment. I think it's going to be better. I think we're going to struggle to get, um, you know, a good connection and to be able to schedule something. So it might be better. So we did it over a few email exchanges with questions. Um, so yeah, so there were some sort of situations like that mm. where it, it was better to do it over email. Um, but the majority, I would say, were done from Zoom. Um, and they ranged between... <laughs> When I started, I just don't think I really, I mean, I love talking about sex, you know, and I've written a book about my own sexual experiences. So I know it's a really rich subject, but I just don't think I'd quite. So I sort of thought, you know, the interviews would be about an hour and 
I think they rarely were only an hour. I think one, the longest was six hours over three different oh, wow. Zoom things. Yeah, this amazing German woman. And she, you know, she just told me her whole life and it was just really fascinating. And she was so beautifully articulate about it. But then it was devastating because then I had to take six hours of transcript and make it into a 750 word story. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. So they probably raised between one and six hours, um, the interviews. You said that um, in the earlier that you know they're quite heartbreaking stories and myself and Venus know that when we are vulnerable with our own stories we get messages from different kinds of people I, I would love to know about how you managed talking to people's stories that weren't always um, leaving you feeling positive or energized and what that experience was like going yeah. into it so I think you know, I never, I never knew what to expect with each interview, you know, but I'm aware with sexuality that, you know, there's, you know, there's a, we know, you know, this, and I feel this book is very much a sort of post Me Too book. I wonder whether, you know, there is a sense that, you know, people are, you know, we are aware now of sexual trauma on quite a, you know, a tragically large scale. And there is more of a sense of feeling uh, a solidarity to talk about it. Um, which has been, you know, one of really positive things in the Me Too movement. And uh, so I think I, I really tried to be in a good place before each interview. So I wasn't like whizzing in late and stressed. You know, I'd make sure, you know, I'd do a little meditate and I'd really try and like honour the timing. And I know a few times I just know... Like one time I forgot to press record on, on one of them. Oh, we lost, we lost, we lost, we lost um, connection. And then I, when it restarted, it didn't record. And so whenever that, things like that happened, I felt really terrible. Actually, it worked out quite well with that woman. And we ended up having another, another terrific conversation. But I really tried to really, to come with my best self, my best game, you know, really come really in a, from a really kind of love heart meditative place and from a real sense of spaciousness with time. And I think that was it of really giving time to it. So it wasn't, there wasn't a sense of it being rushed mm -hmm. so that there was a sense of, you know, there's nowhere we can't go with this conversation. If you're, if you're comfortable, then I want to hold the most loving space for you. Um, but yeah, you never, I never, you know, and I, I knew there'd be sexual trauma when I started. And I think I was, you know, maybe I would say a bit surprised, surprised how much happens at such a young age, how much, you know, sort of, you know, you know, I think the majority of the incidents that are expressed were, you know, you know, girls younger than 15, 15 or younger. So, but the word triumphant really comes, springs forth from this book because these women are, you know, there was this wonderful Japanese um, young woman who spoke to me and, um, and I struggled for a long time to speak to anyone in Japan. And, um, and I was, you know, I'd had lots of people helping me find someone and I had these wonderful Japanese women say, I can't do it. That's really like too edgy for me. I couldn't do it, but I'll really help you find somebody. And it was right down to one of the last interviews I did was actually a, a woman in Japan. And, and um, she was just, you know, there's such an amazing young woman and I had this interview with her and she was telling me about the last time she's had sex. And it was this friends with benefits hookup and she was so empowered in it. And it was just like, I was, she was only 22. And I was like, wow, if only I had been so empowered at 22 to have these, you know, to be able to create the sexual experience that's really what I want with a guy. And uh, she was really, you know, asking for what she wanted and owning her pleasure. And I was like, oh man, you're amazing. And then at the end, I always ended with the question, is there anything else you thought you might tell me that you haven't? And she said, yeah, you know, I've told you one really good experience, but actually, you know, I was at uni and I, 
was drugged at night and I was raped and I had to have a, an abortion because I found out I was pregnant afterwards. And she was like, you know, I'm doing this because I want women in Japan to know that, you know, you're in control of your destiny and that, you know, and, and she, it was just so moving. Um, so there is this sense of triumphant, you know, there's this sense that, you know, I think as women, we, we have, our bodies hold these stories, we hold these stories, but actually, um, you know, we, we find a way through, you know, we find a way to, you know, still connect with ourselves and our sexuality. And also by sharing sometimes, because I think sometimes we hold these in stories in, in a shame place and actually by sharing them, that can really start to shift that shame just by, just by sharing a story, just by speaking it aloud. Um, so, yeah, so I feel that there's, there's a sense of, you know, a tide turning and, you know, empowerment and women speaking their truths and sharing their stories that's, you know, quite triumphant and powerful. Mm, I, that, I got goosebumps when you were talking about, um, you know, it being emotional. Um, I'd love to know what made you want to make this book and how the idea came yeah, to it's you. not my idea. I can't, yeah, so it's not my idea. I was approached to write it and oh, um, oh, just okay. such a joy. Yeah, so this amazing editor called Katie Foley mm. had the idea and yeah, approached me. And I think she'd heard that I'd written Don't Hold My Head Down, which is my book about sexuality. And and um, I met with her and I was like, oh my God, I love this idea. This sounds like so up my street, but oh, have I lost you? Oh no. But I didn't know um, whether I'd be able to do it. I've never done, you know, I love talking about sex, but I didn't know whether, you know, I could hold these interviews or whether I could collate them. So I, so I had this meeting with this editor and then I, 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 I appealed to a couple of friends. I said, can I just sort of interview you about sex and see how it is for me? And, and I interviewed a couple of people and I just loved it. And I collated the interviews and I sent them to Katie and she, you know, and she, she'd offered, she'd offered me, you know, the, the job. So I just love, I mean, I've just loved it. It feels like a real honor because I kind of, you know, being a writer and quite creative and I always sort of feel quite ideasy. So then to be, to be given an idea by somebody else and to just love it. And it's, I love the collaborative element. So you've got this editor who loves the idea and then I go and I'm interviewing women and then illustrators. So, you know, quite often as a writer, you can feel quite solitary. And so this just felt like I was part of this great collaboration. Mm. Um, yeah, so I can't take the credit for the wonderful idea. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, one question that I would love to ask you, and I'm, I'm, maybe this is something that would be maybe something to ask Katie as well, is that as someone who is a sex educator and is in like the sexual wellness scene myself, um, recently and moving forward within my own work I think it's really important to be inclusive with language and to make sure that the work I'm doing and any information I'm putting out is inclusive I just want to know why the focus on the book was mainly around women's um, experiences mm -hmm. um, yeah this is probably one from Katie and I definitely think as a format this is something that we would like to develop and do other books on this format so I'm hoping that this will be the first of more mm -hmm. um yeah I think I, I yeah this is again you'd have to really ask ask Katie but I think this sense that you know for so long um I mean I suppose from my from my sense of things you know and this definitely came across from the women that we spoke to especially women in other cultures who you know where it could be was completely really edgy to be talking about sexuality 
um, there is a sense that for so long now, our sexuality has been policed and controlled by religion, by state, by by men, really. And so, but there's also this this movement, you know, with and with social media, with more people than ever, more women than ever having voices. You know, whereas years and years ago, it used to be used to, you know, you have your, your newspapers that are owned by men, edited by men. It was just a much more the, the the information that was shared was much more controlled by men because men were in positions of power. Now, you know, with more women in power, with more voices, um, with more women being able to express themselves via social media and all these different channels, there's a real sense now that women's issues and women's voices are being heard. And I think sexuality is um, yeah, somewhere where we're hearing, you know, like yourself, is it, we're, we're hearing more and more women speaking out about um, things that they, they, they just felt were silenced. You know, I think that we have this sense in, um, you know, that, I mean, and so many of the women I spoke to, you know, they might have had a sexual assault that had happened early and they had just, their mum had, you know, and I, I think what you get actually from a couple of the stories is that, you know, women who'd experienced sexual trauma as a child, um, you know, there was one woman in Palestine and she grew up a Palestinian Muslim. And so she was six and she was kidnapped by a man for the afternoon and brought back. And when, and the most traumatic part of this story was her telling her mum, because her mum was just freaking out. She had never seen her freak out so much because her mum, who had her own inherited shame around sexuality, nudity, all of this, was just, did he touch you? Did he touch you? Because she would then not be able to be married. This would be such a taint on her virginity. So the big trauma for her then was this, what, how her mother responded. And this again happens to another woman, you know, her, her biggest tragedy was telling her mum that she'd been, this was a Spanish woman, telling her mother that she'd been raped as a 13 year old by her uncle. And her mum saying, no, of course you didn't and not believing her. So this sense of, of women speaking something and then having their truth stuffed back into them and so, and I think this has happened for so long, you know, for so long and for so many years. So it is quite an amazing time that we're living in, in a way. So I think that to, you know, there is something about creating a container for women's stories to be heard because hitherto they really haven't been. Mm -hmm. Now, I come from a place where I just think it works terribly for men as well, all this. So, you know, I, I personally would love to hear you know, more story, you know, like more stories from everybody. Yeah. Um, but I think there was a sense that this was, you know, creating, you know, a space for women's stories, particularly to be heard because hitherto they had yeah. no voice. They had yeah. no voice, particularly around this area. Yeah, no, I totally lives. agree with you. And, you know, the women's experiences are 100% valid. And it's so great to hear all of these amazing stories when it comes to, you know, especially people with disabilities, um, and things like that in the book, which I love seeing as someone who has a disability myself um, and listening to other people talk about, um, you know, sexual encounters and their experiences with sex when it comes to their disability and the way they're treated. So, you know, hearing all these amazing ac women's accounts of this, like, it's just, it is amazing. But I think, yeah, I agree with you. Um, in the future, it would be fantastic to have a book that kind of encompassed um everybody's experiences of sex and what they're thinking about during sex and um especially men especially men you know that book does need to be made um mm -hmm. but yeah no I think it's yeah I so agree actually I've just because obviously as, as I was doing it I really felt I'd really like to speak to men about about this aspect too you know and um and I, I've started doing a few interviews with men in the hope that I can tempt, I can tempt the publishers to take it. And it's really fascinating, you know, it's really, mm. it's been 
really fascinating and and I've been really touched again really touched yeah. again because there's quite there's so much pressure that's not spoken that men are supposed to be this you know yeah. um you know all powerful all all these kind of st- you know stereotypes that they're supposed to be and actually what if they're not what if they want to what if they're drawn to men mm. what if they're you know what if they're um you know what if they're drawn to powerful women what if they're not you know what if they don't fall into what most yeah. of them are saying they don't fall into this this yeah. standard that's been set for them yeah um so yeah so and I've yeah spoken to a few men and I yeah I'd really love to do that mm. too yeah, yeah it's, it's something I definitely um loved talking about when I did my show private parts because on the show I did talk to people who are trans and people who'd gone through like cervical cancer and I just the stories that I was being told, especially by my friends who are trans and the kind of breaking down the taboos and the stereotypes of their experiences and the things that they go through when it comes to sex and dating, Mm -hmm. the things I'd never heard of before because, you know, that's not my life, that's not my lived experience. Mm -hmm. And it would be fantastic um, to hear more of these these stories Mm -hmm. and these encounters. Mm -hmm. I love that. Oh, sorry, you go for it. You go, you go, you go. <laughs> the, the collaboration between that you mentioned with all of the, the illustrators and mm. all these people involved. And I first heard about the book because some of my favourite illustrators have been sharing about it. And we'd love to know more about um, how that all was. So if the, did the stories get sent to... Mm-hmm. The artist yeah. and how that was. Again, this is a Katie, probably a Katie question, um, because she was the one who was, you know, um approaching all the artists. So yes, as far as I know, the stories were sent to, to the artists to yeah, to respond to. Um yeah, and then she'd send to me to say, you know, what do you think? And um yeah, it was just so amazing to see, yeah, how how these illustrators responded to the stories. And also then, and also then what's so lovely then, I love, you know, the fact that you can find them, you know, find them and connect with them on Instagram. And then Mm -hmm. to hear how, you know, how much they love being part of it as well. So that's just been really lovely. Yeah, there's a really nice bit in each of the, in each of the, um, the sections of the book next to the illustrator, it says, you know, where you can find them, whether it be their website and has a little bit about the illustrators, which is so lovely mm-hmm. because sometimes when books are illustrated, the illustrators just, you know, have a little bit in the back of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's nice that that's right there with the drawings, you know, as illustrators, mm-hmm. we really appreciate that. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. also like the range of illustrators you have in the book is very inclusive and beautiful. And we have some amazing people in there, including our friend Alice Skinner, um, Sophie Birkin, who I adore, Francis Cannon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the illustrators are fantastic. Great, I'm so glad you love it, yeah. Mm. I'd love to know, I mean, me and Venus have discussed this so many times, but we'd love to hear what you have to say on where, I mean, you touched on it a little bit about religion and things, um, where you think that shame from around sex comes from yeah god it's so it's so um it's just so there isn't it so interesting I think because um you know I know I went to a catholic convent so I can you know and I got then I got to like become a woman in my 30s and go what is going on with me when it oh we lost her a little bit to give away my power, become I disempower myself. Really, have, have you lost me? Are we? Oh, we lost you back. a little bit. You're back. Yeah, maybe just yeah. start again. Start from the yeah. top. <laughs> the internet. Um, 
yeah it's such a you know it's a shame yeah where does it come from and it's just so sometimes I think it's hard to really place it because it's sort of everywhere it's just in the fabric of our society because we have for so long you know and I do think it is this religious control that's just sort of everywhere and it's shaped everything it's shaped laws it's shaped you know our attitudes and so we don't really think about it it's just it's just what we've we've unconsciously learned so then you have to annoyingly kind of you know consciously unlearn it um but yeah and it was interesting because I spoke to I struggled to find a woman in Poland to speak to me actually for a long time it's a very catholic country mm. and I had a few women said, yes I want to speak and then um we're very worried about confidentiality and then we just we arranged to do the questions and then they didn't want to do the questions so I think it was really hard and then I eventually spoke to this you know just this amazing woman who works as a sex um therapist and she was saying yeah that even yeah that even she who you know didn't she felt she had a really quite liberal upbringing not a religious upbringing but even so it was just still there the shame around sexuality um yeah I mean but I mean we don't I mean I think you know goes so it just goes so deep if you think that we have a uh we have a you know God is you know what we've learned is God is a man men are holy so there's this sense that women are not holy we're not clean our bodies aren't you know so there's something sort of dirty about our our bodies and for me like I'm quite into sort of you know the goddess and I'm you know kind of a um yeah I do sort of devotional practices to the goddess and I'm in sort of more sort of sacred sexuality and for me that's just exploded my mind when god is a woman when god is a woman she bleeds you know her body changes each month she goes through a menopause she's she's you know, these things suddenly become sacred and amazing and and not things that we've all, you know, I remember like when I sort of started my periods, it was something to, you know, you, it was a shame for you to hide your tampax up your sleeve. You know, it was like, oh my God, no one can know this part of me that I am natural. So we've made sort of, you know, women's bodies so sort of dirty. And then, you know, when it comes to sexuality, I mean, gosh, you know, you've got you know, the Bible is full of violence against women, it talks about stoning women to death. And, you know, she's not a virgin, you stone her to death outside her father's house. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's sanctioned violence against women. And so, and this is what, so we've had, and we've had, you know, for years and years, the, the holy men who were the educated ones writing about, you know, women who they feared because they weren't supposed to have sex with. So, you know, we, it, it's been a hatchet job against female sexuality, like, and it's tragic. And so we, and we are, you know here to try to you know explore that and reshape that and reclaim it so it is an amazing time I think for us to to be here and to be talking about this because there's this amazing reclamation of female sexuality and that's very much what I think the book is part of um which we're seeing more and more at the, at the moment but yeah so for me I think the, the shame comes from religious control and but I don't think you know you might not have lived particularly religious life but it's still there just because we've been you know, we've had thousands of years of this sort of shaping our, our worldviews around um, yeah. everything. I see that. I mean, my mum is from Chile in South America and there's still, uh, it's a completely different, um, I mean, I know that uh, a kind of um, confidence in women is becoming more, um, more accepted and, and the young people are really pushing for a lot of change um but yeah it's it's a completely different than in this country and um it's still even just in England seeing still the impacts of 
the religion even if it's it's not necessarily like I don't know many people that go to church anymore or anything um but yeah I I I see it and I see it with my with my family and my cousins and it's uh it's so I don't know what the right word is but in different countries is just such a complete different experience and then there's a culture and then we still got in Italy that women who are on their period have to be in like a different room they're not allowed to be in the kitchen so there's still so much even though I feel like what I do and being on the internet a lot and being around this very um kind of almost very outspoken community um it can be like a bubble that speaking to my family in Chile kind of just like helps me um get out of that and that's why I think listening to people's stories from different cultures and different parts of the world um is so important um and I would love to know if if there was a a particular story or a particular person you spoke to that really sticks out to you um from the whole book yeah I mean so many really I feel like I sort of and I, I got to the point at the end of the interview towards the end of the interview so I was like I'm going to interview and I, I warn you I'll fall a bit in love with you because then I then ed- I then transcribe them and I'm just like oh my just like a heart's just like bubbling over for these amazingly brave women who shared their stories um yeah so a few so the the the, the ones that really and I call them the pattern breakers so they're women who so and I mentioned the Palestinian women, um, Muslim woman. Um, she really moved me, and I really we really cried together in the interview. And actually, we got to the point where we were emailing each other afterwards, and we both cry. It was something really, really quite beautiful and special. But and I th- but and a few times it was this sense that so she had. So I told you, you know, her mum had you know she'd been kidnapped as a as a young girl, and she'd grown up where. You know, she said even kisses are censored on telly. You know, I knew nothing about sex. I wasn't told anything about sex. And when I found out that, you know, my mum kissed my dad and, you know, I found out about blowjobs, I was just so disgusted that, you know, she'd do this. And she got married to another Palestinian Muslim and she said I had lots of sex that I didn't, wasn't, it wasn't great. And and she, she then, what had happened is she had then um, left her partner with with kids and she but she was just saying you know I'm raising a daughter and I'm doing it different and her life had been really tough you know I think as a pattern breaker because you've broken that like whatever whatever had happened to her mum in her mum's story to make her so afraid of sexuality and talking about it that would have been a generational thing and then suddenly you've got this woman going no I don't want this for my daughter and there's more and I'm going to make this brave decision to leave this life and, and try and you know bring her up in a different way and that and it, it was so hard and she said my dad and she she had a, she has a lover and she talks you know really beautifully about the sex that she has with this lover and she said but if my dad knew I had a lover and I'm not married it would it would kill him it would absolutely he'd have a heart attack and I feel like I can't um I can't um you know, really be myself. And, you know, it's just like, am I waiting for him to die so I can be myself? You know, there's this still this sense of, but for her to be that pattern breaker, that's just amazing mm. to go against all that and change something for another generation or to change something in your lifetime, which has been so deep and impacted. So it was people who were, were the pattern break, they really, they really moved me. Um, and I, who else did I, I really, I really cried with Jennifer, who's just the most beautiful trans woman I spoke to. 
and again I'd had um a hard you know I, I I'd really wanted to talk to a trans woman and I and I was really starting to worry that I wouldn't that no one would speak to me and I she she was just so perfect and she said you know and she really she really asked me lots of questions about the project before and she really made sure that she you know she 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 was like you know this is a really hard aspect for trans women to talk about you know mm -hmm. and uh, so I can understand she said I've done some you know I've, I've probably done a bit more talking about this stuff than many you know people so I feel that I could probably do this but for many this is just they'd have to feel so safe and this is something that really we won't talk about to an except to another trans woman so I felt really honored to speak to her and she was just yeah so beautiful and I'm just you know I was just so aware she was like you know there's you know she was really frank there's a, there's a lot she said you know there's a lot of hatred out there from for trans um, mm -hmm. people and she said I'm aware that sometimes people look at me like I'm a freak of nature and she's sharing this stuff and yeah I she really moved me and she was yeah so so amazing um anyway there's a few other sort of um there's a few other pattern breakers that I really oh so the German woman that I spoke to I spoke to for many many hours again she'd had a really because I think when you're a pattern breaker it's a hard life you know it's that's not it's not easy and um and there's a lot of sort of you know I think unhappy times and she had um she'd again not learned anything from about sex she's a woman in her late 50s and she'd not learned anything about sex and she'd then gone to the library she'd just gone right I just did, well, didn't know anything about sex so I just went to the library and I bought every book out and she got like Masters and Johnson so she was learning all sorts of stuff she was amazing and she then she started like weeing on the carpet on the lounge carpet it kind of felt quite a naughty thing to do it was naughty and arousing oh I love that um, she's amazing yeah and she's really into BDSM and she yeah and she talks about it I love the way she talks about that um she talks about her what it is for her just the intensity of that relationship um but she said you know I had traumatized parents my life you know my up uh, it wasn't happy my parents were traumatized it's and she calls it the war bullshit you know she said you know they were traumatized people traumatized parents and grandparents raising kids with all that had gone on with the war and so she's gone on this whole joint journey and had you know you know really got to explore herself and her patterns and her sexuality and again there was just this yeah you know these these women who are you know breaking old patterns of you know a lot of sort of fear and shame and sadness around this aspect of them, their selves, the themselves. Yeah. I love but loads that of women stand out for me. There's going to be more, there's going to be more of me. Yeah. Like all of them. I love, uh, but then, you know, other women who are just like, I love there's a Spanish woman who was just like, just so her, you know, and I've had that. She was like, and I think she was 36 and her, she was just on fire. She was just like, I'm so horny. Want to see my dildo? She's like, you know, she was just like, I'm just like, I'm just sending pictures to people and I'm just doing these things. And she just had this like, she'd been out with this guy who was just a bit of a five minute wonder and she just got to the point, like, what am I doing? And then she's just started to sort of have this liberation really. And um, she'd met this guy who she called Orgy Guy who'd just been like kind of expanding her mind and she'd gone on these dating sites and she'd just, yeah, just had this like, oh, just this bubbling sexuality that I just sort of was, yeah, really fun. So yeah, I mean, loads of women for all sorts of different reasons, but they all stand out for me. I just love them and honor them all really. And of course, um, so there's an incredible woman um, from uh, Kenya who, um, Oh, she was cut when she was um, young, so she had um, yeah female genital cutting, and um, oh, and just such a hard time, um, and was married, and sex was just you know so painful, and oh, she, 
yeah, really, really struggled. And actually, I think struggled from being cut and and the, and the trauma of it really. And um, but she and she and she got married, and sex was really you know hard. And then he died like quite soon into her marriage. He was killed in a car accident. And she remembered thinking, oh, at least I won't have to have sex. Mm-hmm. And she said, that was my wake up call. She yeah. was like, you know, what, what, what am I doing? You know, here I am. And, and she went online and she actually found somewhere that did um, um, restorative surgery. And she, this is just going to make me cry now. It makes me tingle. But she, and then she went and had it. And she, um, she said it was like someone gave me back my sexuality in an envelope. And, now, and then she said, I just wanted to get home from work and get a mirror out and look at my beauty. She's just like, because she would never before, she would never want, you know, anyone down that, you know, opening her legs for somebody, you know, cunnilingus, that was just an utter no-go. But now she's like, she's like, she's just lay back and do your mighty. She's just like, you know, she just loves it. So this, this, yeah, that, that journey really was so moving. And yeah, she really stands, stands, um, yeah, she really touched me. She was such an amazing amazing story. And it's so beautiful too. I've had people open up like that with you. I must, it must've been an amazing, amazing moment to, to be a part of that and to be a part of these stories. I would love to be able to listen to the the audio, like stuff like that just <laughs> yeah. really excites me, like listening, yeah. listening to this out of the voices of the people this has mm. happened to. I'm sure that would be an amazing thing to maybe mm. do in the future. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Actually that's, yeah, cause somebody had suggested to me actually about doing a podcast and that would be really lovely to sort of have these. I just, yeah, I really, I wonder whether people would open up so much if they're, because there was something about they knew they were anonymous. Yeah. Um, although there were a few people who were like, no, don't want to be anonymous, use my name. <laughs> but, um, um, but yes, on the whole, I think that having that anonymity was mm. quite comforting for people. Yeah. yeah, I do quite a lot on my newsletter at the moment um, where people can like submit stories to me and it's anonymous and just watching the way people open up to me is beautiful. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I just love that these people are trusting me with their stories and are you know having a space where they can feel safe and open up and talk to someone who they trust and someone Mm. who they know is going to like take their stories and just do amazing things with them and be really respectful with it Mm. Um, but there is something really comforting about having that kind of relationship with another human being you've never Mm. never encountered in real life yeah it's amazing like you said it's a real honor I felt it was Mm. a real honor and I you know I've I've just adored this project so much you know the fact that I got to do it and um, and these women shared these stories. Yeah, it's really something. It's really something that they'll share there. You know, that you know, it's so intimate. And also for a lot of women, they didn't. And what I loved is that most of the women got to the end and they were like, "Oh, I didn't know I needed to have this conversation." But or that felt like really kind of oddly therapeutic. Or one woman was like, "I think I sh- this feels like a conversation I, sh- I I would have spent hundreds of pounds on." You know, it's sort of it, it's that because we don't often we don't, you know, we're so funny about sex generally, we don't often ask ourselves these questions and we wouldn't, so, and, we, and it's quite often hard to talk to our partners about these things. We might say a little bit to our friends, but actually to really be able to open up and explore this aspect of yourself with a stranger, it's quite something, isn't it? So, mm. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was even thinking honor, for, yeah. my, for myself, like there'd have to be so much trust there to to open up like that. So it's wonderful that these stories are written down so that, people can absorb them in their in their homes and 
I just think it's it's it just makes me so excited. I'm I'm so excited for it to come out and um, for these stories to be to be out there. Do you have any hopes for when the book comes out? I mean, I think I I, I there was a. There's one woman, she was great. She was a Russian, a Russian woman, and she was so lovely. And she said that she's, she felt that there was something wrong with her. She felt for years there was something wrong with her because she couldn't orgasm. And she, you know, she thought, yeah, there's something wrong with me. And that comes across a lot, I think, particularly with the younger women, is there's this fear that there's something wrong. Um, it's a lot, there's a lot of inner thoughts about, am I doing this right? Do I smell wrong? Am I wrong? You know, am I, do I smell wrong? Is it, am I doing it wrong? Is, um, do I look wrong? Is this, this idea that, you know, that our bodies could be wrong is just so sad, isn't it? Um, but, um, this, this, this amazing Russian woman, she said she, yeah, she felt that there was something wrong with her and she's talked about her sexuality. So it was like having a hand, but not being able to use it. And she said, um, she said, I, then she, she read some books. She read a book by um, Samantha from Sex in the City who'd written a book about sex and another book. And she said, it was so amazing to find out that here was this woman who thought was like uber sexual and, you know, everything, you know, we'd all like, was having this amazing sex, but actually she had insecurities and struggles as well. And that was really liberating. And quite often you found, and again, with the Masters and Johnson, that, you know, the German woman who went to the library, you quite often find that because people aren't, people in your home environment maybe, or your community aren't comfortable talking about sex to you. That so that people will go to books. So quite often books can be quite transformative on people's sexual journeys. They can make them feel less alone or less wrong, um, or they might feel more inspired to try things. So that's what I love, that this book could be that book for people. Um, uh, so particularly for younger women who might be struggling with aspects of themselves. And also, um, one thing that, you know, the book is in age order. So you'll, you meet quite a few women in their 30s and 40s who are struggling with children and their sexuality. So you obviously, um, ha- yeah, motherhood has a massive impact on sexuality. You know, your body completely changes and then suddenly there's this, you know, these t- you know you're, it's never, things are never, the, the, they're never quite the same again because you're responsible for these little people who are, you know, quite often attached to you. Um, and you know how does your partner feel about that how do you when you're completely knackered as well you know you might have been breastfeeding everyone wants a bit of your body and then your partner wants to make out and you're just feeling you know i think tired and touched out is the you know the expression that was used you know and many women spoke about this you know not being able to shelve mum and become lover and you know so that was something that you know i mean i definitely you know having you know being a mum recognize so I love that that that's being spoken about because I think also you know when I you know I like to think I've written a book about sex I thought I was some sort of sexual superhero so I'm going to be straight back on the sex thing and you hear that in six weeks you should be able to have penetrative sex well I there was no way you know I was you know I'd had an episiotomy so I've been cut and stitched it was there was nothing going in there you know for a long time um and you know and I think you know I it was a trauma I think it was birth trauma and I needed mm. to heal from it. And there's not much out, you know, not, it's not something you really hear about. And, and also you're, you're so busy with this other child that, you know, there's, it, and, you, and it's hard to know what to do. It's hard to know what to do. And so what you meet women who are experiencing that, and I, what I love is that you then meet women who've been through it. So there's, there's this amazing woman in her 40s in New Zealand, and she was like, you know, she said, you know, 
she said, I'm having a great, I'm in a great sexual relationship with my partner, but it really struggled. She said it really struggled, especially when the kids were young and my partner would come to bed and we call it the 10, 10 p.m. rollover, where we just sort of like roll over and like touch my bum and think that was going to be like, you know, the start of sex. And this really wasn't good. And then she'd really gone into it and she'd really been like, okay, what turns you on? What turns me on? And she's like, I might want sex, but I don't want this mediocre sex. I want, you know, you do something better so I I'm not in the mood when it's crap but I might be if we're if we're raising the bar a bit so what she she was like what do you like and she he likes buying a really nice underwear and her like wearing it for him and she was like what do I want and he, she was like I want to know what he's thinking I want to really you know communicate and hear from him so they devised this game where you'd roll a dice and then you'd pick something out of a you'd pick out um a uh, there, there's like a little thing to do and you might have to answer a question or dance around the room in your pants or something. So they were both getting each other, getting what they needed. And, um, but they found a really playful way through it. Um, and there's another woman I spoke to who'd had a really desperately traumatic birth. And she talks really beautifully about her, how her and her husband got through it. And, and um, they have a you know, really great relationship. So I love the fact that you kind of, you encounter women right in the midst of this, in this, you know, really struggling with sexuality and not wanting it, you know, when in early motherhood, and then you, you get the other side of it and the women who've been through that and they're sharing their stories of what got them through it. So I love that. I love that, you know, there might be, um, you might meet somebody who's going through what you're going through and then you might also meet somebody who's got, got a, you know, a good nugget to help you through it. Mm, I love that chronological order as well. That sounds so... Um just I can't, I can't wait and um I'm just so excited <laughs> when do you yeah. when is it coming out again the 25th of February yeah I mean like you said hopefully some regardless of what your situation is you find something beneficial from the book um and it can help you feel like less alone in this world especially when it comes to sex because we don't need to feel alone and it's just about kind of reaching out and doing some reading and finding your community especially you know that's what I found very beneficial during my journey in the sex in the sex world just finding people who make me feel like I'm not abnormal or weird and that mm -hmm. you know everything I'm going through everyone else is going through as well mm -hmm. and seeing all the art I think is really great it's like that yeah. beautiful art expressing sexuality I just yeah. think it's really that's really powerful on its own to see and you guys mm. know that from what you do but you know how how brilliant to see that because that lifts the shame doesn't it you know yeah. that makes us feel like you know our bodies are miraculous and amazing yeah well yeah. it speaks a thousand words doesn't it you know Absolutely. it's yeah. the reason why I whenever I try to talk about sex I draw it in some shape or form as well because you know people relate to just a piece of art like instantly it's how we connect with certain things especially mm -hmm. things that are hard to talk about or to even understand um, or shameful or shameful yeah exactly um okay well normally what we do towards the end of the podcast because the podcast is about loneliness we always like to ask the question to our guests is what's your relationship like with loneliness and how do you deal with loneliness when you are feeling lonely in a negative way mm -hmm. um yeah, such an interesting question. I um, I think I'm quite solitary by nature, and I I I one big thing I do really that I think connects me to myself and stops me feeling um, 
lonely is I journal. So I, um, and I start every day with it really. And it shifts my day completely. Like my morning, my mornings when I don't journal and my mornings when I do journal, yeah, can be a really different. And there's a sense and I literally pick up my journal and I go, morning so it's like I'm kind of like yeah like morning how you doing yeah you know yeah (laughs) and so I start having that conversation and it's almost like I and I don't know what yeah and it's interesting like what you I did a read a book called the artist way years ago I don't know whether you know the artist way it's like a spiritual path of creativity it's like a course for creativity it's a really really beautiful book but one of the tools she mentions in it is doing morning they're called morning pages and it's this idea of it's a brain drain it gets out any bits that have just been going around your head getting you down out on the page and they can be transformed but it also gives you opportunity to to really yeah connect with what's going on for you connect deeply with any ideas that want to surface so it can be quite I think like quite a a magical experience really you know quite often ideas come and they might yeah and then then there'll be ideas that turn into books or turn into things Mm. I do or so from this I feel connected and it's connected to myself also to something kind of bigger than myself like a kind of that creativity that kind of Kind of, it's almost like a loving vibration that supports me on my life journey, and and even if I start it with, you know, dark stuff, you know, even when I'm in a place of pain and a place of you know not knowing, like that kind of those deep places of like, how the fuck am I going to get through this? What's going on? I can by the end. I normally write three pages. By the end of the third page, I found a way through, and I and I go from being in a dark place to by the end of it going yeah yeah you know it's like really interesting my language by the end of it and I'll quite often go 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 at the end or something like but I yeah I've started it with like some real bleak stuff so and for me that that is a way that I yeah I um yeah I feel a connection to myself that that stops me feeling feeling a loneliness Mm. but also I have to really what my 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 problem is or my kind of pattern is is that when I'm in a a kind of a darker space I don't I I don't want to reach out with people because I don't maybe I think I just don't want to burden people I think I think we're all like that (laughs) yeah and yet I've got the most incredible friends in my life and the most amazing circles of women and groups of friends and and I'm and actually this year is my real I'm really trying to 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 because it's it's hard at the moment it's really hard this lockdown isn't it mm. I'm really you know I've got a child at home and everything's out the window and really it's it's a it's it's been a tough year I think hasn't it and, yeah um, yeah so I'm really trying to everyone's finding this one a lot more difficult every single person I've spoken to this one is just really everyone's struggling mentally and physically yeah. and it's just been really really taken a toll on everyone everyone I've spoken to not I haven't spoken to one person who's in a good place at the moment um, yeah and even when I went to the shop mm. and go down the high street I feel like the energy at the beginning of it, all of this was people were smiling at each other and, and the energy is so different now I, I feel it in the air mm. um, so and it's know, fair enough really isn't it you think yeah. about that you know we didn't expect it to be going on, go on going on this long and it just seems like we don't I don't feel like I can see the light at the end of the tunnel anymore um, because everything keeps going so wrong. Um, but 
yeah and I, I mean Natalie you journal most mornings don't you and you record mm. that you record it on Instagram that you journal and I'm just I've never been one for writing down my feelings because I just end up crying um I'm one of those oh, that's people. good that's really <laughs> I know, good I know it's probably a good thing but I don't really that would be every morning I'm waking up in tears mm-hmm. because I'm like such an emotional mess all the time mm-hmm. um, um I read the artist way and when I did read it I was talking about it with Venus and I yeah I do my morning pages but I I, I have definitely cried during them I reckon mm-hmm. if you I'll I'll keep talking to you keep <laughs> persuading you to do it because it is I've always struggled to describe the way it makes me feel and everything you said about this, like connecting with yourself, connecting with something that feels bigger. And then the way that you talk throughout the three pages, because it's a long three pages, um, changes and you end up kind of problem solving and um, creating work from it, like you said, because I know, Natalie, you've done a lot of work that's come from you doing your morning pages, haven't you? Which has inspired a lot of your work. Yeah, my my best ideas are either when I'm running or journaling without like any mm-hmm. expectation. Um, and yeah, I think especially with writing, it's it's nice to get that like all all of the first things in your head just out so you can move on. Um, and I mean, a lot of us, <laughs> we're all creative, so we love probably being alone and I know that writing is a very lonely uh, kind of practice but we love um, acknowledging that yeah it can have an impact on your mental health but it can also come with some some positives and um, self-care and and um, kind of having that time to yourself to to work on your creative projects as well um this has been so lovely to speak to you yeah Um, it's been great we do have a question from our audience we always like to ask our audience what they've got any questions for you and we've got uh french with me who is an instagram account that um talks about engaging ways to learn french and she asks how do we proactively how did you proactively make sure that this was inclusive ah um well, I, I think how do I proactively make sure? I, I just we just really tried to be honest, quite a lot uh, on the, in the early stages. Um, quite a lot of people came forward, so I knew that you know we had a, an inclusive book, so I didn't have to go. I didn't have to go searching too much. I did, but I did, as I, as I said to you, I was like starting to worry that there wouldn't be a voice of a trans woman in the book. And I didn't, that was really upsetting me. And I was, you know, there was certain, I was like, I don't, that, that, you know, felt very wrong. And then you're just trying to trust that, you know, some, and also I had to really, because I had a really beautiful and really long interview with um, Cal, who, um, um, is non-binary who said you know I identify with womanhood but I don't identify as a woman and this and you know and they had said this is a really you know it's a really um, yeah it's a it's a really loaded really you know big aspect to talk about and it's where I, I I'm you know when I'm connecting sexually with someone this is where I'm most me and I'm most seen so it's a very vulnerable place and you know I'd had such an amazing interview with them and I knew that um you know it it 
it's sensitive. It's it's a sensitive question. It's not going to be everyone's cup of tea to talk about sex, you know, to talk about their inter, you know, this intimate aspect of themselves. So I had to be really had to really understand that, but also I really wanted the book to be inclusive. And I really wanted to have, you know, different, you know, I didn't, you know, you want to have there's you know, different types of relationships. I wanted different, yeah. I wanted, you know, people to feel represented and it to show, you know, there's an amazing, you know, amazing variety of ways that, you know, of what people call sex, you know, what, what sex is for, for, for people. So, and, but then also I had to think about different countries and representing different, you know, continents and different ages. And so it was really, because it would have been, I could have probably, I could have probably made a really incredibly wonderfully diverse book just with English voices, but the brief was international. And then, you know, so, yeah, and I and I I was struggled to find people who'd had um, uh, experienced FGM to talk to, um, and again I had interviews set up that then didn't happen. So I had quite a lot of people thinking they would do it, and then when it came to it, just going, actually, it's not for me to, you know, and many people in relationships going, I think I want to do it, but I think my partner doesn't want me to do it. So. I had loads of different aspects there to do. But I think, you know, myself and Katie, we really wanted the book to be as, an inclu as inclusive as possible. And, you know, I think, I don't know whether you find, but being creative, you know, I always sort of, you know, kind of look back and go, oh, I wish there'd been a hundred stories and I wish it was more, you know. So I hope we did, um, you know, I hope we did okay for the 51 that we did. But, you know, in my, in my, in my you know, ideal world, this would be like volume one of loads and, yeah, and there'd be more and more stories to tell. So, you know. Oh, fingers crossed. Yeah. There is more stories that will come in the future. So, thank you. Yeah, that's fantastic. Great answer. Um, and we always end the, the episode um, on a positive and we like to ask ourselves and you one thing that's made you smile this week. So we'll go first and then we'll allow you to think about something while we're giving our answers. <laughs> but Natalie, what's been one thing that's made you smile this week? I had a bubble bath. <laughs> <laughs> I love them so much, but for some reason, I will just be like, <clears throat> I'll just never do it. And so I uh, got for Christmas lots of bubble bath things and I always get them and I just let them pile up and I've got them looking at me in my bedroom and I'm like I should probably use them but mm -hmm. I love it so much and I'm trying really hard to prioritize my self-care and like put myself in the bath <laughs> I know that it just it releases all the tension makes me sleep really great I love it I put on like spa music loads of candles and it just the water at the because in the evening it's just nice to just feel like all your worries and troubles are going down the bath um but it's for some reason it's so hard for me to like get there <laughs> um I guess because it takes a while to do I'm just like oh, I'll have a shower or something instead but yes I had a bubble bath last night it was glorious oh lovely that sounds great um okay mine is and Mine always seems to be at the moment TV shows because <laughs> I've got nothing else to do in my life. Um, mine is a TV show that I've been watching on Netflix and it's a BBC documentary, um, comedy drama, dark comedy drama called Back to Life with Daisy Haggard. And um, basically it's about the fact that she's just spent 18 years in prison 
um, from a young girl, from a teenager for killing her best friend, which turns out to be an accident. Um, and she has to kind of go back into just life, like normal life where she's living in the town where everyone hates her because of what she's done. Um, and she's just trying to like figure out being an adult in the real world. And it's just so beautifully written. And Daisy Haggard is just an amazing, like I love her energy. I love her as a human being. She's so cute and so like, I don't know. I don't know how to describe her. You just have to watch her, the way she acts. It's amazing. It's so beautiful. So yeah, that's what I've been loving this week because I love comedy. I love dark comedy. Um, and yeah, it's been really, it's just been really making me like smile and appreciate life and appreciate what I have and also thinking about the way people are treated and I always think about the way that you know when people come out of prison they're treated in society and they're kind of neglected and the lack of help and support they get it's something I think about quite a lot um because I've always been interested in the kind of that's kind of system um but yeah I just it's been a really amazing series to watch on Netflix that's what's been making me smile um so yeah Lucy now it's your turn I'm gonna check that out that sounds amazing I might watch it in the bar yeah it's brilliant (laughs) um yeah so gosh yeah it's so I'm homeschooling a five-year-old and it's really I've really been finding it tough so yeah little things that make me smile I'm I'm really appreciating and I did have a great bath and that was I'm red in the bath and I was like yeah um but actually so my five-year-old is um he's left-handed and he's really struggling with writing and so and it's a bit of a nightmare because the school sends stuff and they're like you know get them to write this and write that and he's just freaking out he's just got no confidence so he hides under the table and he starts acting out and it's like oh how do we you know how do I really support him so I've really been I've just really been trying to help him through that and he wishes he wasn't left-handed he wishes he was right-handed because he thinks his left hand is wobbly so I looked up like loads of famous left-handers and I was like it's like, I was like, right, there's like, there's really, there's really cool people. I was like, look, there's Einstein, really clever, like one of the most clever people. Leonardo da Vinci, amazing artist. I said, and like mummy's favourite, Barack Obama. Okay, like it couldn't be cooler, these people, Russ, it's really cool to be left-handed. And Aww. he did this little smile and he's starting to just, and we've just got lots of resources and we're just trying to get him, you know, right back to basics with his writing. Yesterday, he just was really trying and he did like, he did this amazing, somebody's doing A's and he did these amazing A's and I was going, that's better than mummy's, look, I wouldn't know. And he just, he just, like, you just see him starting to melt and starting to get a little bit more confident with it. So that's that amazing. made me smile, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well that's enough to make bit. anyone smile. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's hard to be honest, if you don't, if I don't have a day with homeschooling where I want to cry, it's a win at the moment. <laughs> I'm really struggling with it. I'm really struggling. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Lucy, for coming on the podcast. Um, if people want to find you on social media and if they want to buy your book when it comes out, where? Where can they find you and the book so i'm on instagram and twitter and facebook but i'm uh and i'm just trying to do a bit more on instagram actually so i'm probably on instagram most at the moment um inspired by all the wonderful people on instagram actually yeah it's a nice place instagram isn't it It feels like a kind place yeah if you follow um, the right people yeah, yeah <laughs> i think so and loads of body positivity and sex positivity so yeah, yeah i feel I'm, I'm really enjoying instagram so you well will find me on instagram and you can pre-order the book um through uh waterstones amazon if you prefer um yeah so it's available in most uh, places it's called women on top of the world and it's edited by me lucy ann holmes um yeah thank you for having me this has been really lovely brilliant thank you so thank much you for so coming much. on and thank you for sharing everything with us today and yeah go buy the book if you want to read the women on top of the world 
and we will see you all next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday.